Hey everybody, you're listening to Angel Nears. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community that brings startup builders and experienced operators together to share key insights on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Austin Emzer, a co-founder and CEO of Stylo, which is on a mission of creating amazing customer support experiences, leveraging the next generation of artificial intelligence. Today, we're talking with Austin about why AI will be central to the future of customer support. But before we get into that, Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and, and thanks for, for having me today. Of course. Well, we're excited to have you and excited to learn about you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got started in technology? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, my my first uh, real intro into tech uh, came at the intersection of my love of cars. So my first big project was uh, programming my car's computer. So the thing that does all the fuel injection and timing and and I, I just it forced me to learn all these things about how, how tech works from the physical and, and all the way up into the software level. So it, it was kind of out of that. I've spent a good bit of time in, in cybersecurity and the practitioner side, the selling side, and, and it's it's been a, a good ever since. That seems like a pretty pretty important first project. How'd you settle on that? It just came down to being a cheap, like I mean, high school college student. It's like I, I didn't have money to pay somebody to it, so I just had to figure it out. All right. What was the uh, final follow up on that? What was the result? How'd you do? <laughs> Nothing blew up, so I'd call that a success. Awesome. All right. Well, fun story. Let's get into you know the topic of today: customer support. Kind of hard to understand the difference sometimes, or you know, I don't even truly understand the difference between customer service and customer support. So let's start there. At first glance, they sound similar, but help me understand how those two things uh, could be different. Absolutely. So, few c- couple things I'll, I'll point out here, and, and I think uh, especially within software and SaaS, um, customer service as a whole is is a, a little bit. You know, it's a term becoming more outdated. Really, you're going to see a lot more of like customer success, right? That's the that's the the big buzzword right now. So it's with that. Uh, so let's compare customer success for this example and customer support. So support is a lot more tactical. It's customer, I have a problem, I'm reaching out to you. So think about, you know, you reach out to the airline or whatever company it is because you need help changing your flight. That's very tactical. You need something, uh, you know exactly what you need and, and somebody could help with that. Customer success, on the other hand, is a lot more strategic and they're focused on value adoption. So it's, uh, you know, making sure that that uh, your customer is is learning how to use the product and they're getting the, the ROI as, as a result. Is it kind of like a long-term, short-term thing? Like customer support is, you know, how can we support you in the short term, get this figured out and then success, or do I have it the other way around? Uh, it's it's really more about the tactical versus strategic and the immediate versus the long term. Like uh, even the term short term is is almost too long. It's like I have this problem or a bug and I need somebody to help assist uh, to, to get through that. Um, and unfortunately, we're, we're definitely seeing some confusion in the market. Like I've seen certain teams try to relabel their customer support as ah, their customer success, because at face value, customer success, let's face it, sounds so much better than support. But ultimately, it's like these two teams have have a lot different focus. And it's that long term value adoption versus I have a problem and I need something solved. I see. OK, well, thank you for explaining Next question. Talk about the the size of the market opportunity. How big is this as an opportunity? 
Yeah, so we're really going to focus on support today and and really narrowing in on that. It's it's a massive market. It's expected to double to hit $77 billion by 2026. So the value is well understood. Um, but so much of that spend today is on human capital and, and human-based solutions that support it. Think like a, a Zendesk that's basically a, a CRM for the, these individuals. Mm-hmm. What are the main challenges of customer support? There's so many different ones that, that we could talk about today, but I think I'll kind of boil it down to the, the overall problem and, and looking across so many different teams, it's visibility. It's like, I, I think back to uh, companies that, that I've worked at in the past and you know working directly with the support team. So one particular co- time comes to mind, we were getting a lot of complaints that support needed to be improved. So we said, great, let's do something about that. But it's not that easy to figure out where do I focus? Like there's hundreds of thousands of tickets. They're all talking about something different. There's no easy way to, to understand. And I like to compare it to think about sales or engineering for, for that matter. Another good example, they all have these processes in place where when something starts to go wrong, you get an immediate signal, right? Maybe deals aren't going from uh, that first meeting to a second meeting. You know, that, that's a, that's a red flag that, that there's an issue. We could dig in and then figure out what's going wrong. But support doesn't have that in part because just the massive amount of data that they have to deal with. So too much data. In, in these tools would be like your main challenge. Yeah, there's a ton of data and there's not a good way to, to bake it down and figure out where the problems are at. Right, right. I have some experience with this. I mean, it, there's no way to do it except to do it, right? You have to comb through everything and basically assign a, a priority or figure out, you know, what's being stated. Exactly. Like we, we've talked with some teams where, uh, you know, maybe some product bug came up to executive visibility and they said, great, how many times is this happening? Well, the only way teams get visibility in those kind of things is they'll they'll send somebody out to say, hey, we're going to take a cross section of like 500 random tickets, read through and then figure out how many times did that one problem come up. So it's just like there's so many different problems that come up in support and there's no easy way to, to know what's happening and when. Mm-hmm. So typically in situations like this, we turn to technology, right? How quickly has this arm of customer support in industry adopted technology to, to solve problems like this? There's a lot of things, obviously, that, that hasn't changed. And, and we're starting to see more change in the market than ever before. I think like AI chatbots are a good example. I'm sure we've all used them with, um, you know, you, you reach out to Uber or whatever company because you have a problem and then you try to rephrase it like seven times because the bot didn't understand what we said. And I mean, it's a case where like, it's great in concept, but machines aren't as good as people. And on the consumer end, if it's not as good as a person, it like doesn't feel good enough. Um, so there's definitely been some advancements, but um, it, it's been slower uh, than, than other sectors, at, at least up until recently. A number of startups have emerged in the past decade that kind of leverage AI or advances in AI to drive efficiency and cost reduction for their customer support teams. Uh, some of these have been labeled as experience management, or a help desk or customer support. Can you help us understand, like, are these really different kind of teams or are they sort of the same with different names? 
Yeah, this market, it's, again, kind of like even some of the mislabeling with customer support and customer success and customer service and experience. It's like there's so many different names that all sound so similar that that it kind of gets jumbled up. It's like I think you start to pull things out. Let's take like experience management as an example. Like at its core, you know, how are customers dealing with that experience? And and that has to do with a whole lot of different things. That could be the way that they're interacting with the product. That could be throughout the whole life cycle of from sales to success and then into support. Looking at that, then you compare that to help desk solutions and and uh, more traditionally, that's going to be like your Salesforce service cloud or your Zendesk. So that's a lot of times the, the more tactical type solutions. So that's the how do we actually take these problems that are coming in and deal with it in a way that that reps can actually uh, take take care of these issues. So it, it's I guess to, to backtrack the question a little bit, there are definitely different markets, but there's a lot of kind of overlap here. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about you know your solution. Give us the elevator pitch for Stylo. Sure. So. Ultimately, what we do, we're making support teams effective. So we're reducing costs and creating these amazing support experiences. Today, reps waste over half their day doing all this like bullshit work that they just don't need to be doing. We're like an assistant for reps. So we do all that tactical work that machines excel at so that reps can really focus on what they do best. And ultimately, that's the communication and understanding and customer empathy. Can you tell me more, like if I am a rep using Stylo, like what does my day look like? How does that change my workflow? Yeah. So like today, a ticket comes in. A lot of times that ticket's going to sit in some sort of queue. A lot of organizations treat everything as first in, first out. So you could be the most strategic customer with a critical issue, yet you're still waiting behind some freemium user with a password reset request. It's, it's kind of a crazy system. And then eventually you get to talk to a person. So you're, you're all excited. But wait, that person knows less about the product than you do. They're just there to play 20 questions. So hopefully they could route you to another person. So you wait in another line and then you finally get to talk to that right individual. Now flip it over to the rep's perspective. It's like that, that first person we spoke to is trying to troubleshoot issues that they have no business doing. Like it's a more complex issue. It needs to be routed elsewhere. So they wasted a bunch of time and then it gets to that second tier person. Now they're filling out drop downs. They're trying to go through historical context. Does this issue happen before? What's been the resolution? There's just all this administrative work that teams are doing that just isn't necessary. So let's talk about the origin story. What, you know, this is obviously a problem. You describe it very well. Did you have like an insight or an aha moment that led you to starting your company? Yeah. So for us, uh, I mean, on my, my whole leadership team, so the, the four of us, we worked at an amazing company called Security Scorecard. We were there in, in the, the pretty early days. They're now a unicorn. It was not the case. It was like 20 people at the time, room made for 10. So it was always lines to the, the bathroom. But so the CEO, Alex Yampolsky, he was obsessed with customer empathy. And, and that's one of the reasons that the company was so great. Now, one of the ways that we fostered that is we'd take all the tickets that came in on a monthly basis um, and we split them across the org. So everybody, whether you were an intern or a VP, you were responsible for reading through and then starting to understand what were the problems and then putting it in a group list so we understand what was happening. 
That did two things. Number one, the customer empathy. So we knew the problems. But then number two, you know, is when you're a team that small, let's face it, everybody's kind of on support. Like if we were able to fix the problems, we'd then spend less time doing customer support and more time doing our jobs. What was interesting and, and where the aha moment kind of came to be is eventually scorecard grew and it didn't make sense to keep doing what we we're doing. So it kind of then got siloed in, in within support. And what we saw are some implications that almost every company is dealing with is like you start to lose visibility of customer problems. Support starts to get less efficient as, as the volume grows because you, you lose that visibility into what's happening. And it, it was really by, you know, kind of seeing that with our own eyes where, where we first started realizing that how big a problem this was. Tell us more about what happened next. How'd you start the company and who are the people behind Stylo? Yeah. So where we went from there. So my, my co-founder um, and CTO, he eventually went to jet.com where he was reading, uh, leading AI and research and development teams. His real like research specialty, he has four patents to his name, is within a branch of AI called metric learning. And he's really expert in its applications to text analysis. There's been some huge, huge advancements in NLP recently, just within like the last year that started making some things possible that were never before. Um, so it was kind of, you know, we realized like we're at this amazing right time. He has this really unique research specialty and we're able to bring the team together that, that all uh, kind of experienced this problem in the first place. How do you create amazing support experiences? It all starts with uh, visibility. So I, I'll keep coming back to that because, again, if you don't know what's happening, you can't fix it, like, at the end of the day, right? So, again, there's a lot of correct answers to this question. But one of the best ways uh, that we see is by specialization. So dissecting that a little bit further. Look, some teams have relatively flat support orgs where everybody is trained in everything, right? So let's say you have 10 people on the team. Everybody's a generalist. Tickets are kind of round robin. So you get a ticket, then the next person, and the next person, and so on. You know, as you could probably imagine, that kind of creates issues where you have a bunch of people that are jack of all trades, but they're masters of none. Now, as you start to create these groups to focus on specific types of problems, you know, let's say certain reps get great at solving problems within their domain. That's so much more efficient because they've done it a bunch of times and it's going to lead to better customer outcomes. The difficulty with some of this is that these complex team structures are really difficult in part based on the routing of those tickets. Like, oh, who deals with what part when it comes in? How do we get it to the right person? Um, but that's partly where Stylo can come in because we're understanding these problems. We can even proactively identify the subject matter experts. So as soon as these tickets hit the queue, we write it, route it to the correct person. Is there some kind of like underlying Tech, we, we talked about AI. Is there some kind of like underlying AI technology that does that? Can you talk more about that? I think the best way to, to understand what we're doing is, is you know, I, we always tell customers, like, don't think about it like traditional AI that you're familiar with. For all people know, we have hired like 100,000 people somewhere overseas, and they're just reading through all the tickets and making sense of it. You know, our, our technology is much more human-like and actually in the benchmarks outperforming humans. And it's by understanding these problems that then we start to make those correlations to understand where they need to go. Next, talk about timing. Why is now the right timing? You mentioned, you know, breakthroughs in NLP. Is is that the, the major thing here or, or is there anything else worth mentioning? 
Yeah. So look, that's a, that's a really big one. And I'm always just shocked at how like people aren't noticing some of the changes in NLP. It's like everybody's so focused on blockchain or web three right now that like all these NLP just exponential gains are being completely overlooked. So the technology side is one of it, but uh, on the other hand, it's like, look at the market changes here recently. Like, I mean, tech stocks are down like 30% on average. Like the, the whole market isn't doing too good. But there's a couple changes that we're seeing, right? Before it was only about how do I get more customers regardless of the cost, just more revenue. That's the only thing that mattered in, in the bull market. But like things are changing and people are starting to say, hey, we need to think about long-term sustainability. We need to make sure that we retain our customers and grow those. Well, cutting these unnecessary expenses. And I feel very fortunate. We're kind of right place, right time right now, because it's like, you know, not only can we help reduce some of the costs within support, but also we can we can help improve the whole experience and, and even do things like identifying churn or even upsell opportunities to, to enable teams to take advantage of the customer base they already have. And how is this different from what's already out there, like traditional support and what exists? Yeah. So when I think of traditional support, um, you know, I, I just think of the very human capital way that we are going about things. So more tickets, throw more people at the problem and then rely on the existing CRM type solutions that, that we have today. The real differentiator here is like all there's so much that tactical work, like we talked about earlier, that we can now start to use AI to, to, to replace. All right, let's look under the hood. Talk about your technology stack and you know what kind of important choices you had to make uh, early on. To the first part, and I got to give a shout out. My CTO and co-founder is just like, this guy's like a genius. Like, like you don't even know. And so he's built some just incredible technology. Our, 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 all of our underlying NLP is totally proprietary. But we built this with the goal of maximizing iteration speed while minimizing a, a lot of the, the maintenance costs. There's two key areas that, that I'll call out where that there was innovation. The first bit kind of on the, the front end piece. And, and you know, I, I couldn't recommend this more to, to founders. In our case, we used a highly customized version of Apache Superset. So that's just it's just basically a business intelligence tool, but open source. And what that allowed us to do is iterate at crazy speeds and run experiments with our customer that would not have been possible if we were building a front end. The other part here is our AI model, and, and that's fundamentally pushing the boundaries of cutting edge. So we're utilizing, it's called few shot and zero shot learning techniques. And that's really all the brainchild of, of Josh, and, and there's nothing out there like it. How does AI fit in? And is it mainly supervised or unsupervised NLP? How AI fits in, I mean, that's the part where, you know, reps today are reading through these tickets, they're tagging tickets, they're routing tickets. We're replacing that part of the rep because that's lower value activities than they need to be doing. As to the question on, on supervised so or unsupervised, so we use a single model to power every single one of our customers. This is across lots of different industries from cybersecurity to third-party logistics. Now, our model is trained to understand and not just memorize. So that, that's a key differentiator here because that means, you know, it, if uh, when an example that doesn't look like any of the training data comes through, our model is so much better equipped to reason about it and kind of deduce the correct answer on its own. 
In terms of the actual training methodology, so we use a combination of self-supervised and supervised training regimens. The self-supervised portion is where the model's figuring out all that internal lingo for each of our customers. And And at this point, altogether, we've trained it on over 30 terabytes of pure text, like nothing else. The supervised portion of this is where it actually learns and understands all all that non-customer facing tasks that a support person does. So think back to like filling down the drop downs or routing tickets. So we don't actually train the model for the specific drop downs that we're filling in. Rather, we're teaching it how to reason about the options given any possible customer communication. Well, help me understand kind of the journey of your company so far. What what year did what year did you start it? And can you talk about some of the key milestones you've achieved to this point? Josh and I left our jobs back in Q1 of 2021. And, you know, we, we really set out. So for the first six months, it was just really building that that underlying NLP understanding engine. You know, with that in Q3, uh, we, we added a VP of engineering, Bogdan, um, our head of growth, Ronen, um, those that we worked with at, at Scorecard and, and kind of assembled the team together for, for our first go to market here. And alongside them, you know, we got our first customer in, in Q3 with that. And, uh, you know, to, to date have been growing strong. You know, you, you ask about milestones. For me, one time that really sticks out. So it was a couple months after one of our earlier customers. Um, and, and we're just on kind of like a routine check-in call. Um, and this, this customer reached out and she's like, hey, for the first time, I feel like I actually have a handle on support. And they, they were doing all these different things like reducing their ticket volume and figuring out low-hanging fruit for knowledge-based articles. And and it was just so cool to see what a big impact Stylo was having from this thing that like literally didn't even exist two months ago. Tell me what you can about what's on your roadmap. Uh, what kind of exciting things are you working on and where are you headed? One of the big ones that comes to mind, uh, we're designing, redesigning our, our UI UX experience. So earlier I talked about Superset, best decision ever. I'd do that a hundred times over. And it's so great for innovation speed, but it's making it a little bit less intuitive for customers to use the product, especially now that we understand like what they need. Um, so we're really excited about some of the, the updates there and, and usability. Um, you know, the, the other end on the back end side, um, you know, we're, we're releasing some really big updates to our models, um, ways that it's like automatically identifying things that are important within our customers env- environment um, and just, you know, continuing to iterate that that behind the scenes uh, natural language processing. Let's move on to the business. Tell us about your go to market strategy. Yeah. So today we've been pretty much exclusively focused on outbound marketing. Uh, earlier, I mentioned Ronen. Um, he's just like a savant at this. Um, and it just so thrilled to have him by, by our side, too. And outside of, of that plug, look out for some Stylo research reports coming out here soon. We're, we're taking deeper dives to explore, like, what are the metrics that are actually impacting customers by, by the numbers? How about uh, your ideal customer? Like, do you have an ideal customer profile? And what does that look like? Yeah, so 
for one, the personas, VPs, or heads of customer support, um, that, that's kind of our, our go-to. Now, company-wise, in the SaaS and software space, um, we generally find somewhere between Series B to Series E is perfect. So people are starting to like scale really quick. They already have a, enough of a problem and, and have a, a good spend on support. And then outside of that, it's like, you know, do they have enough tickets? So typically, we find like 2,500 plus tickets on a monthly basis and seven support reps. How do you build awareness among your your customers? We're super active on socials like LinkedIn. And I mean, outside of that, I'm a firm believer of there's just no better way to build a brand than getting glowing reviews from from customers. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think this makes a lot of sense uh, when you are kind of reaching scale. I was trying to think earlier, uh, when does it make sense to bring in these tools? And you know, I think scale is something that keeps coming up uh, as, well, as we're talking. Well, it's like, at a, when the company's too small, there's not enough tickets and the spend on support isn't that high, but you start spending one, two, three, four million dollars on, on support on a yearly basis, including people and technology. And you make even just a 10% impact in that. That's a huge amount of money. Um, and you also look on the bigger end of this. So we haven't focused as much on, on the, the enterprise today. Although we, we've started um, breaking in, into a few accounts on that side, but it's like people are already doing some of the things that Stylo is by understanding what's happening on the enterprise level, but they're doing that by building from the ground up with their super expensive data science teams in order to do some of the, the work that we're doing today. So it's like, you know, we, we've found this, this good ICP, but, um, you know, continuing to, to swim up market. Have you managed to build partnerships, uh, any key partnerships with other players in this industry? Yeah, so uh, I'll I'll skirt around it a little bit. We are currently in in discussions with some really key players. Um, again, can't talk about all of it yet, but if you give us a follow on LinkedIn, you'll you'll certainly hear first when it's announced. All right, uh, sounds like a call to action. How about business model? What's your business model, and how does this make money? Yeah, I mean, look, nothing overly novel here. Pretty pretty standard stuff. B two B SaaS model on contracts. That's typically what we get yeah not not very exciting we can move to close we have a couple questions here so let's see what do you think is unique about stylo and you know what makes you stand out from the crowd yeah, I mean, no surprise here, like our technology is just such a big differentiator based on anybody else in the space. I think, you know, from the customer perspective, it's so apparent, you know, that the time to value and not having to change the, their process is just a big, big differentiator. And, and I think, you know, be, behind that from our side, just our, our people and, and our team, we've just put together such an, an incredible leadership team and, and all of our, our employees for that matter are, are, are just amazing. Can you talk about culture? I know it's like a hard, hard to talk about that. Not hard to talk about, but you know, it's hard to pinpoint what it is exactly. How do you approach like a company culture and do you do anything to, you know, foster a certain type of culture? That is such a hard one. And like, I'll be straight with you. Like I'm learning so much here. I, I think back to my earlier career, it's like so easy to criticize this kind of stuff. And then it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm responsible for it now and, and my colleagues. And it's like, you know, working it back, I, I think it's being super cognizant of like, I'm absolutely like, it, the, the, you practice what you preach. Like if you don't follow the culture that you want, it's just not 
it, it, everybody sees that it's apparent. There's no hiding it for us. It's just, you know, I think transparency is so key. You hear that all the time, but it's not an easy thing to actually do, like to, to truly be straight with people on your team and with customers, but it all kind of builds from there. And, and I think, you know, for me too, we, we have some amazing inve- investors and advisors and, and just talking to people that, that have done it before have really helped guide us along the way. 100%. So I'm seeing a common theme here, uh, visibility and transparency, important when you're running a company and running a customer support team. Certainly. So you're a founder now. I mean, uh, is this the first company you founded? Yes, it is. What are some of the challenges that you face that keep you up at night? Yeah, I mean, uh, keep me honest, maybe it's a cop-out answer, but it's like, just learning to do all the things you never had to do as an individual contributor or a manager. It's like, I was just talking about criticizing culture. Like I remember being like, ah, the CEO is making such a dumb decision. Like he just, he doesn't understand or they just don't get it. And it's like, well, now I'm seeing things from their vantage point. It's like, whoa, there were way more variables involved in those decisions than, than I had, had recognized. So, you know, it's just, you know, staying up with all that, but really my solutions just been surrounding myself with experts and, and people who've really been through it before. And it's like, you know, my, my team is just so awesome. And, and having somebody you could go to that's like encountered these things before is just such an advantage. What's your highest high and your lowest low uh, as a founder to this point? Highest high. I'll start there. Uh, Cause that, that comes to mind so much quicker. Really, I think closing the first customer, like getting that first signed contract is amazing. It's just like you work so hard, you get rejected like a billion, million times. Um, and one person believes in you. And, and that's just such a magical moment. I, I imagine that that's a, that's an answer you, you might get a, get a fair bit. I think the lowest of the low, and you know, it's funny, I think timeline wise, not all that far off from the highest high is like, you're spending all this time building a product, right? And it's like, Josh and I left and it was like kind of mid pandemic. So it was kind of a ridiculous time to leave like a well-paying job. Um, And you're just, you're working so hard, like nights, weekends, all the time. And all you hear from customers just all the time is like, ah, like, I I don't know, just, it isn't fit or it's not too early. We don't have budget. I don't get it. You just get ghosted. It's just constant, constant rejection. But you just kind of like wake up the next day and you say, all right, um, we're, we're, we're going to get through this one. It's all of the almosts. Um, but it's like on the other side of that, you finally get that signature. And, and, and that's when it's just all worth it. Right. It's darkest before the dawn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Kind of a retrospective question here. But, you know, looking back, uh, is there anything you would have done differently? Ooh, man. Uh, so many things. For one, everybody has advice. I'll preface this with like everybody's company is different. Um, so like everybody can do their own thing. But Josh and I are especially like hard headed. And I think to be a founder, you just have to be like so sure about what you're doing to an extent. It's like a common personality trait. But we just like refuse to take any money from any investor at any point at the beginning. Um, and it was like all these people like actively trying to invest. And we just said, nope, nope, nope. We got it. We're, we're just going to bootstrap the whole thing. 
And I think, you know, for us, had we raised conservative amounts of money, like I'm not talking about like these people pre-product raising like $10 million today. Like I'm talking something like small, like a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars like enough to pay yourself like a whole 20 grand a year and like maybe get some consultants in for things like that would have accelerated us so much faster at the very beginning. Um, I, I certainly, certainly wish we did that. Awesome. Well, that was an awesome answer. I'm going to ask you the question again. Do you have any advice for, you know, early stage startup founders? Just keep going. Like the only people that you you can only fail if you stop, right? Like, I mean, at some point, either you're going to die or you're going to be successful. And in the uh, former example, you wouldn't know. So uh, it's just like you just you just keep chugging along. Um <laughs> Before we get out of here, uh, any calls to action for our listeners to, you know, reach you, uh, learn more about Stylo, or, or what would you want the listener to do that's made it to this point of the interview? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, if, if you want to keep up to date with uh, some of our, our updates, uh, definitely follow us on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, with that, uh, if you have any personal questions, I uh, can always drop me a line. My email is a is an alpha at askstylo.com. So A-S-K-S-T-Y-L-O.com. All right. Well, we're going to end the show there. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. Uh, Austin, thank you for joining the show today. We appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you so much. It was great being here.